Hi guys, this is Laura. We have some trigger warnings for this episode, um, including sexual assault of a minor, uh, racism and racial violence, including lynching, and at one point we discuss a character having to find a dead body, um, as well as human trafficking. So as always, please be safe and take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. And now we are recording. And we have recorded. Sweet. This is where we pretend that we haven't talk to each other yeah that we haven't been on the phone for the past you know however long just talking (laughs) talking to each other and like figuring stuff out before the show Mm -hmm. because guess what yeah we actually do do pre-show like preparation it seems like we don't but we do somewhat yeah hey look it's a butterfly butterfly. So, yeah, welcome to the end of July. We've made it. It's the end of the summer. And Yay! I'm not going to lie. You know where what I thought would be happening at the end of the July when... What? I don't know. I felt like we wouldn't be in... I don't know. I, 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 I think I knew we would still oh, yeah. be in a pandemic. Like, I wasn't like mm-hmm. a total fool, and I wasn't like, it'll be over, and everything will return to quote-unquote yeah, normal. Yeah, it'll be eradicated. Yeah. Nothing much has changed... Yeah. And I say that in with a saddened heart because it's not even like like nothing yes. has changed. Like the cops who killed Brianna Taylor are definitely still not still. being held accountable. Same shit different day. Yeah. Honestly, this whole this whole calendar year has just melted together to me. Yeah. Like I don't know the difference between July and April. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, days yeah. just meld together. I definitely thought today was, like, during the week, but mm. we're on the weekend, got y'all. Really? It's Sunday. Yeah. We're recording GTN. this on the on a Sunday. When you yeah. listen to it, it will be a Thursday. Well, I mean, I don't know that. When you listen to this, we might not have weekdays anymore. We might have switched over to a totally oh different system. Oh, my gosh, system. yeah. You know? We could, so. This could be the eve of an entire, like, time measurement revolution, where we stop counting you know, times kind of, and start measuring it in uh huh i don't know i'm trying to think <laughs> measure it in like i don't know what how can you measure time other than like seconds i'm so small-minded i can't what? even think okay that's it. <laughs> okay i would say maybe you could measure it in like maybe clouds or <gasps> yeah clouds passing they'd be like tides in <laughs> or star cycles listen i or hope that this podcast lasts as long as it does where we can actually experience right oh wait this new revolution Here's something. the comet i feel like that's something people yes. have been focusing on so it's maybe comet. it's Just a, kidding. yeah oh wow oh avatar which i also finished i don't think i think i was still working for the first on it. time yeah i've never seen it as a kid I know. Oh my gosh. How did I even survive as a child? So that's a current event. (laughs) Yeah. And apparently there's like rumors that they're going to put Legend of Korra out on Netflix. I heard that. But I've also... Which I'm very excited for. I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about Legend of Korra. People... Like you have diehard fans who are like, if you want to be a true Avatar, like lover you can't watch it and taint your mind and then other people are like you have to accept avatar for the good and the bad watch legend of Korra because it sucks and i'm like well overall i hear it not okay, great wait. things wait we have to talk about this listen what not great things have you heard i just heard that legend of Korra is bad it's it has its ups and downs i think it's not as consistent as what is it after last airbender like 
it had a beginning, middle, end that was planned, like, from the start. Yeah. You know, like, there are tons of parallels going on. That is the problem with spin-off TV shows, because they're never yeah, thought like, through th- I don't think they had that plan. So I think that's, like, different. But also, like, they... I mean, that's not a standard that we should hold all TV shows to, you know? So that's just different between them, because that is, like, the style of other shows. Like, TV shows don't plan all of their seasons out like, yeah, from beginning true. to end. We don't criticize all TV shows like that. Um, we just are comparing it between these two, which I think is kind of unfair. I also think Cora gets flack. Um, just because I mean, like, she's arrogant, she makes bad decisions. But, like, if we're watching Avatar Last Airbender, like, Aang can be a jerk sometimes. He just, like, doesn't take things seriously, or he can make fun of people. Yeah. As well. So he's not flawless. <laughs> I didn't say anyone was flawless, and personally, yeah. I- and I, okay, listen, I had a lot of issues with Cora when it was coming out. I was like, I hate this, I hate that, like, blah, blah, blah. But, like, now that it's done i'm like no i like it's good and like they did pretty well and i think that they're just different they're such different beasts like they approach the writing style so differently and they approach like um you know what they the villains so much differently because in the first in avatar the last airbender they have one big villain really the whole time through and it's the fire nation and like i mean they have zuko and azula but they really are only just like stand-ins for the fire lord himself whereas the Korra, like every season has a different villain and they're not really all related but they each bring out a different like challenge in Korra so anyway they, like they're just both very interesting and I don't think like it's fair to say that they like are, it's just like people judge them because they're supposed to be like the same or like that this part of Avatar should come out more in Korra and blah 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 alright I have one last question okay. and I'm a little embarrassed <laughs> who's Korra? Korra like who the character is? yeah she is the next reincarnation, so after Aang dies, she's the next Avatar. Oh, uh, okay. Because yeah. for a long time, I was like, I was like, <laughs> what? Like, is Korra like a minor character that they've decided to like expand to the max, like like no. the Cabbage Man or like? But okay, okay, cool, yeah. And it takes like it's seventy years in the future, so like you know, well, Aang is obviously dead and Sokka's dead, Sad. but like Katara's Toph and Zuko are still alive. Um, and so you you see how the world's changed. You see how technology was, has morphed, and it's very it's very very cool. <laughs> uh, I guess. So, I mean, I could I could definitely see pitfalls of me like totally hating it just because I'm a total like old curmudgeon. I'm like ugh, blah blah. blah. But anyway, wait wait one more one <laughs> so. one one more thing about this. I, I know that like in the in the fandom, there's people who you know like ship Cora and no. <laughs> um, we ship Katara and Zuko, and then yeah. Katara and Aang, and like all these people. Were you one of those people who was like, "Oh, Katara and Zuko"? Uh, okay, yeah, I was a Katara and Zuko person, but I also like didn't care as much. I'm, I'm still undecided. I'm like, I think Katara and Zuko makes slightly more sense, but also the show has like shown them to like be like absolutely against that. So that I'm like, whatever, like that's not going anywhere, obviously. So. I personally yeah, just... don't ship any of them, and I was, like, kind yeah. of pissed that, like, the last, the fade-out scene was Katara <laughs> and Aang kissing, I was like, who gives a shit? You should have, like, ended it five minutes before when he's standing on the cliff, when Aang is standing on the cliff with Momo, and I'm like, just yeah. end it there, and I'm fine. But I, like, right. didn't, but I'm, again, I'm, like, an old curmudgeon, and I was like, I don't care about their love thing. In fact, I don't want it there at all. Yeah, exactly, because I'm like, that, their romance is really not, I mean, it's like, you know, hinted at very early on, but it's still not super important. relevant to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm like, I wish that it ended it on all of them together. Team Avatar. Yeah. I, okay. This is taking so much time. But are you? Was that spurred by something else? Oh, the comet. Well, yeah. Basically, yeah. the comet, if you've seen it, like, people are like, it's only going to come every 7,000 years. I think we missed our chance. Yeah. I think they said, like, the 24th was the last day or 23rd. Um, I mm-hmm. never looked outside up in the sky once, so I never saw it. But Me neither. I know a couple of my friends did, and they won't shut up about it. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll <laughs> see it in the afterlife or, you know, just stop being yeah. friends with you if you keep being mean about it. Yeah, I, uh, like, okay, as a kid, I was always like, <gasps> like, I want to see an eclipse or I want to see astronomical things. But as an adult, I just have not carried that with me. And maybe that's a shame. Maybe not. But, like, um, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, about I just, either, yeah, I'm just kind of don't get worked up. Maybe a little later. Maybe when I'm 80, I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I didn't see enough comets in my life. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, you appreciate other things about the sky, like the clouds. Like, you're always sending I do. cloud appreciation Snapchats. Yeah. I'm a I'm a cloud hoe, I guess. I'm, like, why I don't appreciate anything about the sky or anything around me. But, like, I Sorry. feel like... <laughs> I know. Sad, sad for me. But, like, I feel like a typical Colorado thing to do is you always take pictures of the sky or the sunsets like my sister Annika's always doing that shit she's always like sending me pictures about the same sky and I'm like I admit the colors are pretty but I'm like I don't need to see this no offense Mm -hmm. it happens every day (laughs) yeah I'm like bitch I just look outside but but you know what actually that's not even true pollutions and and climate change is really gonna F us all up and I'll look outside and I'll just be like should have taken more pictures of the sunset. Goddamn. It's yeah, so where'd sad. all that color go? Yeah. All right. Okay. We've talked a lot about Avatar and the yeah. sky. But um, we're going to move on to the next part. And Yeah. As a reminder, we are adding this segment where we each bring one black artist or creator or writer um, and one organization that supports some part of the Black Lives Black Lives Matter movement or support social equity to promote and encourage you to donate and support too. Um. So, do you want right. to go first, or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Cool. Um, okay. So, the black uh, creator I am bringing is Elizabeth Acevedo. Now, she is Af- Afro Dominican, um, and she wrote the Poet X, which is a New York Times best-selling book, as well as the With the Fire on High. That is a novel that I actually read, and that's how I came to know her. The Poet X won the 2018 National Book Award for Young People's Literature, and she's also a national poetry slam champion. And so I really like her writing. I think she writes about food really well. That's what With the Fire on High centers around. Um, Yeah. Okay, so the person, or I guess it's a business, but also it's, the business is created by like a single individual, is um, Nightlife Pins, and it was created in 2016 by Jamal McClary, who is an artist. And I work at a coffee shop, and we have to wear aprons there, and they're big on, like, putting flair and stuff on your aprons, so I've been looking at pins. And I stumbled upon this one, so it's got, like, a mix of pop culture pins, and then some that are based on the artist's personal designs. So, yeah, I'm done now. Okay, the organization that I will promote and encourage you to donate to is the National Black Disability Collective. Um, And I actually just recently found out about this organization. So I'll just read this from their website. The National Black Disability Collective is the nation's organization for all black disabled people. 
Founded in 1990 in response to the need for black disabled people to organize around mutual concerns, NBC, NBDC is dedicated to examining and improving community leadership, family inclusion, entrepreneurship, civil rights, service delivery systems, education and information, and black disabled identity and culture through the lenses of ableism and racism. Wow. Wow. Sounds like they're doing a lot. Yes. Um, okay. So the organization that I chose is called Truth and Conciliation. Um, we'll link the website in our episode description. But uh, I was at a protest, and there was someone who was promoting truth and conciliation. A couple weeks ago, I got an email from them that they were having an event where they were marching from, I believe it was Washington, D.C., to Louisville, Kentucky. And this took place a couple days ago. Um, And they were marching there to seek justice for Breonna Taylor. I was really excited to see this event. And then they said, oh, if you can't join us on this date, which, you know, obviously now it's not the time for travel anyways. So I couldn't get to D.C., but they're like, oh, if you can't, then, you know, you can always support us financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they have a lot of other campaigns going on. So now we're going to start discussing the book that we read this month, which was I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. Okay, so before we start this discussion, uh, we just wanted to say something really quick. While Ellie and I, we are both people of color, we are not black, we're not BIPOC, um, so we we accept that we're going to make mistakes uh, because we have internalized racism, so we're asking you as a listener to, one, be patient with us, um, but also provide us feedback if we make those mistakes, because we want to grow and uh, make reparations for thing, the harm that we might perpetrate as a result of this discussion, and we're going to be discussing some... Um, you know, some pretty negative experiences, but also uh, this book does deal a lot with racism. So if we do make those mistakes, we appreciate in advance um, any help you guys can give us towards um, overcoming those mistakes. That's a fair point, Laura. I think that, again, we started this podcast and we're like, oh, we're going to talk about these books that we had to read as kids. And we kind of, we have come to realize and it's something like we I'm sure we knew all along in the back of our minds but a lot of these cultural touchstones are dealing with very harsh realities and complicated and complex narratives and I know why the cage bird sings is is definitely one of those like sure we started off with yeah. Romeo and Juliet it is a cultural touchstone in our literary world but mm-hmm. it is dealing with like completely different content than what Maya Angelou was writing about and so mm-hmm. we just want to treat it with respect while also having a literary eye okay, okay. also just side note yeah I remember when we started Romeo and Juliet I was like this is gonna be fun we're just gonna make fun I of know. old really old writers and now we're and now like, we're like getting in the meat of it and it's like totally different territory I agree yeah. I was like episode one Romeo and Juliet it's gonna be a hoot and a holler and here we are episode seven yeah. and we're like Okay, here we go. Okay, systemic it, racism. Yeah, let's do it. Let's let's talk about it. Let's read about it. So, we're going to dive right into that book intro for I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou. I'm going to read the blurb that you get from the Goodreads. <clears throat> Sent by their mother to live with their devout, self-sufficient grandmother in a small southern town, Maya and her brother Bailey endure the ache of abandonment and the prejudice of the local po-white trash. At eight years old and back at her mother's side in St. Louis, Maya is attacked by a man many times her age and has to live with the consequences for a lifetime. Years later, in San Francisco, 
Maya learns that love for herself, the kindness of others, her own strong spirit, and the ideas of great authors, quote, I met and fell in love with William Shakespeare, end quote, will allow her to be free instead of imprisoned. Poetic and powerful, I know why the cage bird sings will touch hearts and change minds for as long as people read. End blurb. This is the first book that neither of us had actually read at any point in our lives. Okay, yeah, and so we neither of us had that school perspective. That's something interesting to keep in mind. Except, I don't know why, but the first paragraphs I knew, like I, like, I know those words, and I knew the second paragraph. I'd read it somewhere before, but not the rest of the book, so... Maybe at one point I picked up the book and started reading it and then put it back. <laughs> Dude, that's the same that's the same way I feel about all of the Thor movies. I'm like, I feel like I've seen the first five minutes of all of them, but have I finished okay. all of them? I don't know. I don't know which ones I have and haven't seen. But also isn't that kind of like <laughs> a lot of things for you? It is a lot of things for me, so it's hard for me to remember. So you know what? I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I am too. Thank you. Well, <laughs> as we talk about my poor memory, Laura, you give us a summary because you know that my summary would be pretty piss poor. Well, it tells the story of Maya Angelou's life from childhood to about 16. And this is actually the first of seven of her autobiographies. Um, so it's, it's just one chunk of her life. Um, so she starts off the book by when she and her brother are moving to Stamps, Arkansas to live with their grandmother, who they call Mama, and their Uncle Willie. Um, so there they do a lot of chores, but they also help her their Mama uh, run her store, which is a big deal because she owns the store uh, and they you know become part of the community. Later on, um, when they're about eight, her father moves both of the siblings to St. Louis, where they experience the big city life with their actual their mothers. Um, side of the family and they call her mother dear so that's what we're going to refer to her as um and unfortunately this is when she experiences that sexual assault that was mentioned and this was very traumatic for her um and her attacker is caught and is later murdered but she stops speaking as a result and her family actually sends her back to arkansas to live again with mama um and she um is finds it very hard to open up though she eventually begins to make more social connections with a woman in her community and people in her of her age. Um, and she graduates junior high, but then her brother experiences a very different, um, also traumatic event. And they move to California to live with their parents once more. They live with Mother Deer again. Um, and this is where Maya, she goes into teenagehood, she experiences high school, and she starts to learn a, a, quite a bit more about the world. And the book ends when she gets pregnant and has a baby at 16. Wow, what a way to what a way to end the book. I honestly did not know yes. that it was seven parts. So mm-hmm. you know me, I was listening to the book and I was like, hmm, ten minutes left in this book and she's still talking about like these new events. Like, you know, usually with coming of age stories, there's like a wind mm-hmm. down and you're like, oh, obviously this is gonna this is gonna end. And she, yeah. last five minutes she's like, and I had a baby and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I know, yeah. I was like, I, there's five pages in this book, and I don't know how it's going to end because she was pregnant. And I was like, what's going to happen? I don't understand. I think we can go into our unanswered questions. I have only one, and you answered it in the summary. Wow, cool. Yeah. Well, basically, my one unanswered question was, <laughs> again, since I was listening to the book, I... I got really confused about Mama and Mother Deer because I thought Mother Deer was just what Bailey called their mother. 
but I knew that the grandmother was just a different person and that they called her mama. And so for uh, like most of the time I was just like, are they with the grandmother or with a mo- the mom right now? But you just cleared it up for me. So n- now I know no more questions. No more questions. Good. I have two, actually now three unanswered questions. So first of all, there, there's a part in this book where it talks about a revival. And so I'll describe what would happen in the book. Um, many, many different churches met in a tent and they had a service out as outdoors, like next to a field. And it seemed like a really big cause for celebration, but I just wasn't sure what it was. So I did some Googling. I don't know. This might sound very ignorant, but it seems like revivals are events that are designed to like draw people into the church and build up membership. Is that the one where Um, he was like the head of the church or whatever was like, Oh, come even if you're from a different denomination or something. And we'll like several different, yeah. Denominations got together to, um, participate in this one revival. Right. Okay. I remember that part. So I guess my question is more just like, what is that like? Like how often does it happen? Yeah. Is it like a state fair? I do remember um, her, well, because, like, religion plays, like, a fairly large part of this as well, in addition to mm-hmm. racism. This being the book. And then I remember her talking about, like, oh, my favorite book in the Bible was Deuteronomy. My favorite part of the, I remember as a kid, I would read the Bible, and I'd always turn to Exodus, and I'd read, that's towards the front of the, of the Bible. Because I grew up, uh, I was raised going to Christian churches. Um, mm-hmm. And I would always go to the Bible, and I'd open to Exodus, and that's the story of, like, Moses. And I'd always read Mm -hmm. about the plagues that was, like, killing all of Egypt, Mm -hmm. and they're like, and then the frogs came, and then everyone's firstborn died and everything. But her reasoning was, like, I think she liked Deuteronomy because it, like, listed all the rules or something. I don't... Yes, yeah. But, yeah, it was something I had not experienced before, so I was, like, um, surprised, yeah, interested when I read about it. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready for another unanswered question? Yes. Why were they moving in the first place? Why did, like, Maya and Bailey get sent across the country? Just because of the divorce, we should send them very far away. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think it's also because, I mean, this is a coming-of-age book, and it's, it's an autobiography. I feel like Maya Angelou tells the story from her from her perspective at the time and so you know mm-hmm. what she didn't know at the time we don't get to know so you know when she was a kid and okay. her parents were getting a divorce she was like we were just sent away and like we don't know why and i liked that because you saw another part of that later when she's in stamps and she gets uh, she gets cavities and then she goes to see the dentist mm-hmm. and the dentist like i won't i won't have clients that are colored and so then mm-hmm. her grandmother goes in she's like oh marguerite you wait outside I'm going to go in and talk to the dentist. And yeah, so this is, in, in the book, I don't know if you know, it's in italics, so you could, like, tell it wasn't part of the regular narration. It was in her head. So, like, Mama walked in that room as if she owned it. She shoved that silly nurse aside with one hand and strode into the dentist's office. He was sitting in his chair, sharpening his mean instruments and putting extra sting into his medicines. I'm going to skip forward a bit. And so she says, Stand up when you see a lady, you contemptuous scoundrel. Her tongue had thinned and the world, the word... Rolled off, well enunciated. Enunciated and sharp, like little claps of thunder. So, yeah, her voice is... Uh, Baba's voice is very different in her imagination than... How she's portrayed. And then she says mm-hmm. in the book, she's like, Oh, but, like, at least that's what I imagined happened, but I wouldn't know because I, I was waiting outside, but she came out and the problem was solved or something like that. So I, I feel like that is one of the reasons why there isn't too much light shed on, like, mm. why did she go to get sent to Stamps in the first place? 
Yeah, I did not have tons of unanswered questions because this, this book style is very different. It is, every chapter is just a, you know, it's just another story of her growing up. And there's not, um, there's not like a typical rise and fall to the book, you know? Like, this is, yeah. you know, everything in her life is building up to this. It's very, um, I don't want to, not exactly anecdotal, factual, but just very, yeah, anecdotal. It meanders and takes its time on just like, you know, very like visceral moments in her life and very like concrete memories that, you know, obviously in real life, like don't have a narrative. Yeah. And I think like, if you think about it, since it is an autobiography, like just like anecdote after anecdote versus mm-hmm. a memoir, which, you know, has that like the typical structure of a story where it's like introduction, rising action. Mm-hmm climax falling action resolution but yeah no, i didn't even think about that mm-hmm. um are we ready to move on to takeaways and judgments yeah okay here we go okay so i guess we'll start with like impressions mm-hmm. I-, I looked it up on wikipedia and it looks like this is typically a book that uh, is introduced in high school Mm -hmm. like in high school english classes so what do we think were the intended takeaways and Mm -hmm. what were the actual takeaways and also i want to say when i was looking up on wikipedia there's you know tons of things where it's like trying to get the book banned from schools and i mean i guess it's good that they're reading it in high school and they can have a facilitated discussion about it because it does talk about very serious topics for example there's sexual assault. There's the event that Bailey experiences, yeah. which they is... they discovered the, you know, the, bo- the dead body of a black man, I think, in a pond. And a white man was present, and he, like, ordered Bailey, along with other black men, to, like, carry the body to a- the calaboose. And not only did he see that part of violence, but this man was ordering him to, so he didn't have a choice not to say no. So that was a really traumatic event, because he was in such a place of powerlessness and fear, I think. Throughout... The book, there is like this, you know, this fear and this knowledge of lynching and how, um, yeah, they're very afraid to have like black men and black people out at night because they are so afraid of that. And that was, um, it just, it was impactful to read Mm -hmm. that. To just automatically like live with that expectation. Yeah. So, I mean, and in a way, like it is eye opening because it's not something that I'm used to. Yeah. Like I, like I live with different realities that might be. Mm like eye-opening to other people but for me this was eye-opening for me yeah i uh, yeah just i don't i don't know what it is is my like uh, caution with saying eye-opening like i just don't want to say like oh i've never heard of this before yeah like you don't want to be like well part of you is like i don't want to be desensitized to it and be like oh of course that happens like that that is what it was like like i don't want to seem like i'm ignorant and be like i couldn't believe that like yeah people of color had to go through this but on the other hand you are just like this is a reality that I I wasn't consciously thinking like, oh yeah. yeah, you have to be careful when you're walking on the street. Yeah. Well, and then you get, uh, we also got the perspective of like what it's like to be a black woman mm-hmm. because we have the grandmother who owns her own shop and then you have these um, white girls who like will come in and mm. blatantly disrespect her and also Marguerite and it's totally expected that mm-hmm. they put up with it because, of course, they can't. They're in a powerless position. Mm-hmm. I think the power dynamics would have been confusing to me as a high schooler. Like, like as a high schooler, you know, being um, 
not, um, not, you know, at the time I was not exposed as much to anti-racist theory and thoughts and like arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have found that pretty hard to comprehend, I think. Like, especially in that scene that we're talking about, um, where these girls are like mocking, the, you know, the white girls are mocking, um, Maya's, Marguerite's grandmother, who, like, Maya Angelou's name mm-hmm. is Marguerite. Right, Mar- like, they're mocking her from the, the front yard. Yeah, as a high school, I would just not have understood. I probably would have been like, why can't they say anything or understood the powerlessness and the, and why, and why Maya was so upset about it. Yeah. You know, it also makes me think just like with schools in general, it's likely that this was being taught in like a high school English course and that the in many schools that the English teacher was white. And so Mm -hmm. then you think like, I don't know, I like I I wonder how that was like, how does that change it? How does that change the experience? Schools were obviously adding this book to the curriculum because they want to talk about racism. But even Mm -hmm. then, if it's being taught by a person of power who is white or, like, a teacher that's white, that's obviously going to have a different discussion about racism than Mm -hmm. if it were being taught as a person of color. And so I just, I think I wonder, when we think about what were the intended takeaways, Mm -hmm. we have to think of that veiled by a perspective of, like, a white person Mm -hmm. in regards to racism. Right. And then another thing, like, on top of that... The book also focuses on racism among, like, people, other people of color. So that it talks mm-hmm. about in Chapter 28, there's a mention about um, Japanese immigrants and black people. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, like, indirectly, it talks about the model minority myth and basically how they were, these two groups were pitted against each other and, like, they mm-hmm. weren't supposed to like each other. I've read more and more about how the model minority myth was mm-hmm. intended to keep people oppressed and over oh, yeah. like no matter what it still holds like whiteness as um the top of the hierarchy yeah top yeah of the I hierarchy. Think even yeah so in that chapter they're discussing how because of world war ii and how japanese people were being taken away to internment camps that was creating opportunities for black people to move in and take those storefronts and take those um labor jobs so mm-hmm. these like labor scouts were framing one minority's um harm as another minority's opportunity Mm-hmm. And like, I and I so I I also wonder was that being taught in schools? Mm-hmm. Like, of course I'm gonna think about that because yeah. I am Asian and like that is my connection to it. Yeah. And then of course we're gonna I want to talk about the title of the book. I know why yes. the cage bird sings. Oh, you do? Don't and, you? Just kidding. I mean, so the the title, just looking at it isolated, I know why the cage bird sings. Like, why would um, a bird in a cage sing? Like, why would a creature who is in prison still presumably find joy in life? Yeah. And I, I will say, a lot of this book is very, you know, sad. There are, um, like I said, those scary parts, those, those traumatic events. But a lot of it, I found, was it was just about her being a kid, you know? Like, it was talking about her making her first real friend or her enjoying books and enjoying just being in the house with her family. There, Like, there were a lot of moments where it's just her enjoying things or yeah like it didn't seem like there was an ulterior motive it was just like stories in my life here we go and yes there was racism and Mm -hmm. like that was a part of it but it wasn't like i'm telling you the story so you understand racism it was like no this was my life yeah because there are um it's not it's not as if i think 
at least this is my interpretation and impression of the book. It's not as if she's saying, yes, these bad things happen, but look at all these beautiful and amazing things that happen instead. It's more just like, yeah, like you said, like all these things happened in my life and some of them were bad. Yeah, but it's, and it's not that the good times were amazing and perfect, but they were just, they were there and they were good. And I don't know if, I don't know if that's like what her intention was, but that was my takeaway. I think there is power in saying like, yes, someone can face, you know, all this systemic and historical racism and can have these traumatic or just negative events happen to them, but they still have the power to, it's not a contradiction. They're still capable of being like a complex individual. Yeah, like it's not a contradiction for the caged bird to sink, you know? Yeah, yeah. I so think. you think that was a title standing alone? Did you feel like there was, a, is there like a part that I totally forgot about where she, like she talks about a bird? And I like. I, okay, I was on lookout for that and I don't think there was specific uh, moments like that. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad someone was paying attention. Moving on from that, well, we can go on... Well, now let's let's rate it ourselves. Let's move on okay. to the rating of this book. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. Out of ten. Just in the wiki, it was like, people generally, like, say the first one's the best one. Oh. Dang. Like, they... they this, is, this ties back to Avatar Last Time Because, like, they were saying um, the, uh, the rest of the autobiographies get judged like more poorly in light of the first that's a quote um just let people judge Korra against Aang but whatever okay I'm gonna say a nine out of ten because it was I mean it was enjoyable and I did appreciate uh the style like that she gave equal attention to really mundane moments well none of, none of them are really truly mundane but also to like you know life events quote-unquote or really traumatic mm -hmm. events and it shows the complexity of life yeah and she is very prolific like a lot of the way she wears things or phrases things like is just so poetic or mind-blowing and kind of like deep as well as again like opening my eyes to very um the ways that, that racism touched her life and affected her throughout every experience yeah she has like a very distinct voice as a writer it seems like a really cliched thing to say because like don't a lot of great don't all great writers have a distinct voice but mm -hmm. uh and something i forgot to mention the only other maya angelou text that i'm familiar with mm -hmm. really just like off the top of my head is still i rise mm -hmm. and that one is another one where it is like a both a mix of you know these are the facts of life and like this is the hand you're dealt mm -hmm. and then also like uplifting and her i think yeah. her book was uplifting because she is still she has she shares the beautiful moments in her life and the not so beautiful mm -hmm. moments of her life and i think that in it in of itself mm -hmm. is uplifting yeah like these things do happen to her but her like her family still supports her i, I liked that just her her grandma and her brother and her mother were all like supportive the whole way through as she grew the family was also a huge theme in this book yeah her family was like there for her nine out of ten yeah Nine ten, yeah. I think for me, oddly enough, it never occurred to me that this was an autobiography. When I think about it as an autobiography, I feel like I enjoy the book more, and I think that's just because, like, mm -hmm. I have different expectations for an autobiography than I would a memoir. Mm -hmm. um, so I think for me, it's like a... Now that I think about it, it's an 8 out of 10, but when I was, like, reading it, like, a couple mm -hmm. moments ago, and I was like, oh, what a great book, not autobiography. It was, like, a 7 out of 10, because, oh, okay. again, I just had different expectations. But I'm going to say now it's an 8 out of 10 to 
have this content taught in schools, I think is also, I mean, like, yeah, unfortunately it feels like it's this and the color purple by Alice Walker. Um, and those are like the most prominent black narratives that are mm-hmm. shared in academia in for high school, for like primary schools. Mm-hmm. So I think, am I forgetting like a really big one? The Invisible Man? I don't know that one, so I'm going to forget that one. I've never, (laughs) for me, and I could be forgetting a really major one that I'm like, oh, of course we read this one. But like when we first started this podcast and we were making a list of books that Mm -hmm. were like, oh, classic book you read in high school or middle school or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, like The Color Purple and I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings were like the first ones uh, written by black writers that I was like, oh, of course this one. The Invisible Man, I've never heard of. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I was, yeah, just bringing up that other, um, The Invisible Man, but I would agree, like, it's those three amongst, what, the, like, 20 books we might read in high school. Well, I say we go into our book talk-related section segment. Yeah, the one part of this podcast is about books. The only part where we talk about books. Everything else is yeah. Avatar only. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> We'll start off with the recommendations. So yeah. I'm going to go first. I'm going to say that I have like two recommendations and I'm recommending them for different reasons. I am going to recommend a memoir. Um, and again, that's there's a part in the book by Maya Angelou where she crosses the border to Mexico with her father and then she's like out partying with him and then she sees that her dad's gone and she's like oh my gosh did my dad sell me as a prostitute to these people Mm -hmm. um and so she's really freaking out and that reminded me of the book the glass castle by Jeanette walls Mm -hmm. in which that situation does happen to her later my angelou figures out that um it was that is not the case that is not the case that is not the case that did not happen but in the glass castle it is about a woman, a white woman growing up in uh, poverty in America. Mm-hmm. And I think it just, uh, like, I'm just recommending it because it's just another kind of uh, creative nonfiction work that talks about di- the different perspectives of what life in America is like. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to recommend that one. And then the other one I'm going to recommend is Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. And I'm pretty sure I have mentioned this writer and probably this book a million times. If not this book, Mm. then The Beautiful Struggle or We Were Eight Years in Power. Like, I've read those three and they've all had, like, a fair amount of impact in my life as a reader. So I'm always going to recommend them. But I think that one I'm recommending because it is another example of... Uh, the black narrative in America. Well, thank you, Ellie. And yeah, I'll your turn, Laura. Go next. Um, one recommendation I had was *A Tree Grows in Brooklyn* by Betty Smith, and I think the tone of the books. So it does not it does not tackle things like racism, but um, it just reminded me of it because that is also coming of age book for um, a young girl named Franny or Francis Franny, and yeah, it's just her growing up and is a very whimsical. Like she has a lot of fantasies um, about like oh, like, everybody's gonna realize how smart I am and, like, treat me different, um, which really, like, called to me when my Angela was talking about that scene with the dentist where she imagined her grandma, like, lifting him up in the air with her one arm. (laughs) 
it was just like a similar feeling to me. And then uh, another one that I thought about, um, because Maya Angelou talks about the different experiences she has with the teachers and how in her schools that are mostly black, like those teachers have given up or, but the teachers in the schools that are like mostly white, like treat her a lot different. Like they'll be super nice yeah. and just ignore her or like different things. So just thinking about that, I'm going to recommend this book called Push Out, The Criminalization of Black Girls in School by Monique W. Morris. Um, and that one is nonfiction. It's pretty dense, like very uh, thesis or very academic language. It very much explains like how black girls experience um, the education system differently from white students, but also from like black boys. So it's very informative. Great. Yeah. So those are recommendations. Mm -hmm. But now moving on to what are we what are we currently reading? I'm currently reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. I say I'm currently reading. It's taken me a long time because um, it's very it's very good, but I have to take breaks because I have to process things. Every um, chapter begins with like, here's how what cultural racism is, and here's what cultural anti-racism mm-hmm. is. And that is very helpful in understanding what the chapter's about, but also just putting this anti-racist theory in different contexts and explaining exactly what it looks like. I think it just it's giving me much more vocabulary and um, mm-hmm. structure in identifying racism and identifying like, oh, this is racist, but in this specific way, or this yeah. is racist in this specific way. I'm also reading Sorted, Growing Up, <gasps> Coming... Oh my gosh. Growing Up, Coming Out, and Finding My Place by Jackson Bird. <laughs> And uh, how'd you hear about that book, Laura? Oh, I'm in this, uh, uh, uh what's it called? The book club. <laughs> Hosted by... You. Me! You! Okay, the next one is Fire Logic by Lori J. Marks. And that is what... I actually tried reading it last year, and I didn't get past the first page. But this time, I read, like, 20 pages in one go, and it was interesting. It's really... It's feeling my need for more Avatar content, because it's a similar... Well, that's really... It's not really similar. Um, it has elemental powers in it and that's it i am reading nothing else at all well i'll tell you what i'm currently reading Mm. i'm reading such a fun age by kylie reed and when i say reading i mean i'm listening to it it's great i am actually physically reading gross indecency by moises kaufman which is a play and it's about oscar wilde and then last episode i said i was listening to black leopard red wolf by marlon james Mm -hmm. I got probably a third of the way into the book listening to it, and I was like, I have no idea what the fuck is going on. <laughs> so then I was like, you know what? I am going to rent a copy from the library or get like an ebook from the library and actually like physically read it. Mm. So I'm in the middle of doing that, but I'm a slow reader, so I think I'm on page like two. Yeah, so, so what we are reading, what we have finished since then, as Laura already said, Sorted by Jackson Bird. Mm-hmm. Great memoir. I originally listened to the book, but since I'm leading the book group, I am reading it physically on like as a PDF. Um, and so there's pros and cons to listening to it versus reading it. The pro of listening to it is you get to hear the author use his own inflections and like all interpret the story the way he intended. So that's a pro a con is the book comes with pictures and i didn't really get to see the pictures until now but i will say i made it's a memoir about his journey of gender affirmation and i was listening to it and then i realized halfway through in the text he references pictures of himself throughout his life 
And then I was like, oh, I'm missing the pictures. Oh, maybe I should look it up. But then I kind of made the conscious decision. I'm like, oh, I want to finish the book. And then I actually want to see pictures of the author. And not that that's, there's a right or a wrong way to enjoy the book, but I liked the way that it shaped my reader experience. Mm-hmm. So it was sorted by Jackson Bird. And then I finally finished Pim by Matt Johnson, which was a book mm-hmm. I was physically reading. Or, and then I listened to Queenie by Candace Cardi Williams, Patsy by Nicole mm-hmm. Y. Dennis Ben. And then Freshwater by Akweke Amezi. All of those are black writers. Um, and Freshwater is magical realism. Patsy is about... It's multi-generational. And then Queenie is... I don't know. Queenie was just a good one. I, like, I liked all of them. I'd probably recommend all of them. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Laura? What have you read? At the time, I was reading Naturally Tan. I think that was the only one I was reading. Um, I finished it. It was great. Uh, I, I kind of feel the same about it as I do the show Queer Eye. Um, mm-hmm. It was written by Tan France, one of the members yeah. of the Five Five. And in the sense that, like, oh, it was fun. And now it's over. <laughs> the I read The Mysterious Benedict Society and the Perilous Journey, second book in that trilogy. Uh, that was fun, Woo-hoo! too. Yeah, and then Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu. That was really fun. It was, like, really surreal because parts of it are, like, it's, like, a, a screenplay, but parts of it are, like, just prose, and it's, um, and it talks a lot about the Asian-American identity. Message from an Unknown Chinese Mother, Stories of Loss oh, love and Love it. by Xing Ran. Such a sad um, book. Yeah, which I, I, it was your copy that I read, and I'm sorry, I don't know where that copy is right now, but... Uh, That's okay. Yeah. I was bringing it in an airport, so hopefully it's not still in the airport. Not at the airport. Yeah. (laughs) But that's okay if it is. Maybe someone will pick it up and enlighten themselves about adoption in Chinese adoptees, yeah, and how it affects the mothers and the families and where it comes from. Mm -hmm. Felicity by Mary Oliver. Um, Are Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. All right. Then I read The Mysterious Benedict Society and The Prisoner's Dilemma, the third book of the series. I'll say I like the second book the best. Only Mostly Devastated by Sophie Gonzalez is the next one I read. And that was good. It was a queer rom-com. Takes place in high school. I read Shortcomings mm-hmm. by Adrian Tomine. Tomine. What'd you think? That one was also recommended by me. What did you yeah, think? Yeah, it was, ex- again, it was your copy of the book. <laughs> I liked it. It's So this book is like issues like 9 through 13 of a yeah. longer comic series. So for, for what it was, I thought it was a pretty complete story, but it ended on a weird note. Like it just made no sense but i thought it was interesting the drama was very um it was fairly compelling then the next book i read was girl serpent thorn by melissa bashardust girl serpent thorn yeah again another queer romance it was pretty good i thought the book was a little rushed but it was still like a really fun entertaining plot and fun magic and mythology didn't you read another book that was also like girl woman other that is, yes. That is another book I read. This is like this trend of these things because there's also Boy Snow Bird. But these three these three books are not related. They're just had this trend. It's just of, a title trend. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that is what I've read up to now. Beautiful. Well, I think then that means it brings us to the end of our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> almost just kidding not yet (laughs) well (laughs) uh, we got you so as we kind of close out for this month's episode 
We're going to, of course, do a plug. Take it away, Laura, with the email. <laughs> okay, yeah, you, if you have feedback, because we asked for it, or any other thoughts you want to tell us, you can email us at reading, no, reading, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can email us at readingnotreading at gmail.com. And the way you spell that is R-E-A-D-I-N-G-N-O-T, R-E-A-D-I-N-G at gmail.com reading not reading yeah it's an auditory experience yeah wonderful yeah i checked our email today uh, it's been a couple months and i am happy to say that no one has emailed us yeah so you could be the first or the second except Still. for i will say soundcloud has been email emailing us which brings me to my next point and probably my last point before we like close this out um if you are listening to us, it's likely that you're listening to us via SoundCloud. And I have some news. We are going to be moving our kind of podcast home from SoundCloud to... We're going to try out Pinecast, which is a official podcast hosting website. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're growing. We're growing yeah. up. We're getting big. We need Our files are... Um... Expanding expanding ever <laughs> exponentially no yeah. pretty linearly but um <laughs> so i guess it doesn't really affect you because we'll just tell you where to listen to us yeah um it's not like we have a website or anything but if i guess you have a question about where to listen to us email us all right yeah that's why Let we gave know. you our email all right well it's been it's been fun laura but it has been hasn't it i don't <laughs> want to talk to you about books for a whole month now so yeah so don't you dare bring this up. <laughs> don't you ever talk about a book with me again when yeah. we talk about when we talk to each other in the real world. But mm-hmm. next month, what are we going to be reading? <laughs> uh, the House on Mango Street. By Sandra Cisneros or Sandra. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, have a great month, y'all. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Bye. Flamio, hot man.